So you were a coach of Andrew Richardson, who of course has been the coach of Emma Raducanu. Were you yeah. surprised to see him in that role? Not really. I know I knew he had a, a relationship with her uh, when she was younger, mm. and uh, yeah, I mean, you know, one of the things is, I mean, I, I'd say that Andy, you know, had some issues and and didn't really you know do as well as he could have he was a phenomenal talent mm. and and really and truthfully he understood tennis better than most of the players that that I worked with once he got the gist of it and 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 you know I, I love to coach moving through an early ball and and he, he he was very very good at it and uh so you know his knowledge I knew would be very very good so the fact that I think the the run that he had with Emma, I think people underestimate how how much easier it would have been to mess it up than to actually help it happen, and and I think he did a phenomenal job with that. So he was a little bit like a, a top footballer, where some of the managers can tell that that footballer is going to become a good coach, and that footballer isn't. It was it a similar kind of thing in Flex. That's Andrew Richardson's nickname, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, Flex. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, I think, uh, I mean, Flex uh, had has two great attributes as I said he really understands the game mm. and secondly even now he's still a great ball striker so in terms of you know drilling a player or whatever he can actually get out on the court and 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 not miss and uh, and certainly for a female player to hit against flex who doesn't hit with too much spin is great for your focus because he, he's gonna keep you making balls you know, and, and not going to miss. So, you know, he, he can bring two aspects to it as well. So let's go back right to the beginning. You're originally from South Africa. Correct. But you're playing tennis, and did you play pro? Uh, yes, I, I went to first the University of Texas and then uh, transferred to North Texas State. Okay. Uh, a guy called A.G. Longoria came from Pan American, we were a top 10 team, and uh, was tasked with building a a team in at North Texas and two of my best friends from South Africa had joined him on that and they persuaded me to go and join them there and I mean we did make top 25 and then uh, sadly they they pulled the funding so my my last year there was uh, a bit of a waste of time but I I wanted to finish my degree so I mm. stayed on but I had three three great years there, and, and and it was you know really good, and I enjoyed college tennis a lot. And then I went and played pro, and obviously playing in those days satellites five weeks, mm -hmm. really gruesome. And and I to make a living, I had a base in Europe because I could play money tournaments, you know, save enough money, then go out on satellites, blow all the money, you know, <laughs> and 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 did that over and over again for 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 about four years and then I remember sitting down thinking hold on I'm a pro tennis player and the whole point of being pro is to make money mm. and I, I can make money playing for you know Dutch club and money tournaments uh, and then I keep blowing it on satellites trying to get my ranking up and did I really believe I could make top 100 and at that point I felt no so I'd say I became a, a true professional and just literally played money tournaments for my, and, 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 and played for money and you know, things like the Mortgage Corporation League and all of that. Mm. So uh, 
I was good enough to, to make a decent living doing that. And, uh, and I enjoyed it. Uh, you know, obviously everybody had the dream to, to be a, a top 100, top 50 player. But yeah, I think, I think you know, a couple of things which we, we all know is I don't think I had the greatest coaching mm. and, uh, and, and some of the holes in my game that I recognized later on as how to fix them. I didn't know at the time. Uh, but you know there there are other people at that time when coaching wasn't a big thing on tour who figured it out for themselves and I wasn't able to so so um, having been a good player but not a great one mm. that's how you got into coaching and obviously it's a lot more of a consistent income coming in and it sounds like from everything I've read about you your coaching career just took off because you started with success and one thing snowballed into the other does that sound correct uh, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I, I've been fortunate enough to never really have to look for a job. Uh, you know, players have always come my way. And uh, I remember a couple of years ago, Barry Scholar at uh, Bath, where, where I'm a consultant now, I was a head coach for, for a number of years, said, uh, Dave, I don't know how you did it. I mean, you know, don't you worry, you know, no pension, no no security and everything like that. And I said, not really. I've never really been in a position where I've been out of work. So I don't really know what that <laughs> feels like. And, and uh, you know, and I, I've tended to have pretty long relationships with players. Uh, and and that, uh, it tends to end when they actually stop playing rather than, uh, than me losing the job, which is, which is, you know, touch wood. So that's a, a great point. So you're, you've got a lot of longevity with your players. When you go into a coaching situation, some player comes to you and asks you to work with them. Do you really have a really good conversation about what they want to achieve, how hard they're going to work, and that you know this is going to be a long-term deal rather than a, a three to six month and then maybe they'll move on? Uh, yeah, I think the, the first thing is, is, for me, I have to have a vision of how they'll play if, if they were going to be a top player. Mm. If, I, if I can't see that in my head, I won't work with a player because I can't, you know, I need to be working towards a vision. And once I have that vision, uh, it's, it's also the personality as well because, you know, on the road you're spending a lot of time together. And if you don't get on as people, uh, I think it's got a, a, a shorter lifespan. So I need to like the person as well. Um, so, you know, that does come into it. And, uh, and if, I, if I can see the vision and I like the person, then I'll, uh, I'll give it a go. And Liam Brody has just had an amazing time in the Challengers last year, and now he's performing on the big stage. So you've, how long have you been working with him for? Uh, so Liam I've been working with for seven years. We did have a break of about uh, close to two years. Mm -hmm. uh, so when he was 20 years old, uh, we would gotten to 150 in the world uh, but I think he got a little scared then stuff happened and he, he decided to go his own way for a while and then he just kind of dropped back to 400 and and called me up and said you know shall we do it again so that was in 2017 and you know we've been together ever since and uh, yeah I think uh his, his resilience and ability to 
really put behind him some pretty big disappointments uh, and actually you know get to a place where he stopped looking for the quick fix which was the the real the real key there is to settle down and say look this is the way you got to play this is the way you got you, you, you need to do things mm. and settle down with it and, and accept it and then just keep getting better at it because for a long time he was looking for the silver bullet and of course you know it the, the silver bullet actually is consistency just doing the same thing and getting better and better at it I had a college coach that said there's no such thing as magic dust he used to remind mm. us daily yeah. and it is something that's very difficult isn't it to do and to work through um, who do you think you've had the most success with as a coach? I mean, it, it's it's really hard to say. I mean, you know, are you are you judging by, you know, results and 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 uh, you know tournament wins and 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 how far people go in Grand Slams, or are you talking about just overall progress from where a player starts and where a player gets to? I mean. You know, there was a, a Scottish girl called Nicola Payne who at 16 uh, was losing love and love first round of nationals. And, you know, a really hard worker who, who really, you know, she admitted herself had limited ability, but a fantastic work ethic. And uh, she got to 400 in the world. And so, you know, in terms of, you know, a, a job of, taking a player and and maximizing pretty much their potential you know that was a job that I'm really proud of uh, but I mean you know Martin Lee going to top 100 mm -hmm. uh, was was good and I think uh, he had a real opportunity uh, to to do more and uh, certainly he played an, an amazing match with Shang Shulkin at the US Open which he lost in five sets, and you don't know what happens if he wins that match. Uh, but, you know, I've had some very fantastic moments. Miles McLagan, match points against Becker. <laughs> that, that, that one was literally a, a centimeter uh, <laughs> away from, from beating, you know, one of the grass court greats. And, of course, Barry Cowan nearly, nearly beating Sampras uh, at Wimbledon. So there's been some great moments, and, and I'd say for for different reasons for different personalities uh it's been a lot of fun with with you know uh you know all the players really mm. uh, i mean flex and i had some great moments as well and and you know you can think of things that happened off the court and that that were were real fun and and yeah you just establish a, a relationship and you know luckily most of these guys have become very good friends of mine and they've also become commentators for ATP Tennis Radio in the case of <laughs> yes. Barry and Miles. And um, Arvind, I think. And Arvind as well, yeah, of course, yeah, you work yeah. with. So, That's right. Uh, yeah. So the, the, the hat trick. So what yeah. are overall would be your coaching philosophy? And I imagine that's something that's changed over your coaching career. In terms of philosophy, not really. I mean, when I, when I saw McEnroe play and what he did in terms of taking the ball early, that clicked with me and I understood why I lost to certain players who didn't hit the ball that hard because of how early they, they, they took the ball and and he was, you know, one of the greatest possibly ever taking a ball and deflecting, you know, watching Kyrgios play 
Liam Kiros on his backhand, you know, deflects early as as good as anybody in, in the game, and and that kind of reminded me of sort of McEnroe deflecting pace and 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 using it against opponents. So I've always been a big promoter and and proponent of of early ball and the footwork to really move through a ball and how to how to get through the ball is is something that I've taught and and really and truthfully uh, I say this that Roger Federer when he came back here was in 2018 and took the ball extra early in a way showed people a way uh, how early you could take the ball and and a way forward and I and I I joke that it kind of took away my edge in in coaching because you know certainly when I've started with players who've been like 400 in the world I mean you know Arvin Barry and 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 and, you know and Liam and stuff like that very quickly I could get them inside 200 just by understanding and and just being a bit earlier and, and and understanding how to make statements with 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 certain situations and that that was, I'd say, a coaching edge, and now pretty much everybody is is, is doing it well. Uh, but hopefully, I've still got a few tricks up my sleeve. So we talked a little bit about the tactical philosophy. Yeah. Um, a lot of is being talked about about the mental game now, isn't it? Much more than 20 years ago. Or so everybody is working with a mind coach, and and that's something that you've moved into. Uh, yes, I'm. Uh, I'm doing some. You know, I've created an online course. Uh, which is a systematic way of, of, of teaching what I think every player needs. And, and I think certainly for me, the focus is not just about how you are mentally on court. It's also how you are off court and, and, and how emotionally stable you are off court, which feeds into the on court. So um, I've, you know, and I've also done a lot of uh, study outside of tennis so I did the, you know, the Berkeley Institute of Executive Coaching course, uh, done the European Mentoring course, and, and all of these things, plus all the reading I've done over the years, kind of helped me improve the philosophy that I have, that you need to understand how to think, mm. you know, on and off the court, and that, and that I think, is, a, is, is a, big, a big part of being, you know, very good, I think. So go further in that. You need to know how to think. So uh, let's just take Liam because he's got, it seems like, a really good career still ahead of him. Uh, he's, he's just getting started, it seems to me. So uh, how much do you work with him? What do you talk about? Um, if you're not around at a tournament, do you make sure you talk over the phone or you know, via uh, Zoom or something? No, with Liam, uh, you do quite a lot through WhatsApp messaging. <laughs> it's his preferred uh, way. But, I mean, if we really need to talk about something, we just talk uh, on the phone. I think one of the things I've been very, very careful to do is the mindset that he has in as a competitor mm. and the way he keeps his life simple off the court, I'm very involved in. Uh, but in his life, there were other issues that he needed to deal with. And I encouraged, encouraged him to go and speak to professionals about that, uh, which I, don't, I, I never will feel is my field at all. And so, he, you know, he, he's been brave enough to do that as well. And I think that's gone hand in hand and, and 
he he doesn't really need that much anymore on on that side but uh but i think if people have a simple rhythm so i you know we call it the the tick boxes stuff that they do every single day you know and just consistently do it that gives them a rhythm in their life and I, and i think you'll find with all the, the very best players their lives are actually incredibly simple and and the players whose lives are very complicated tend to be much more up and down uh on the court um and i think that's what liam has really come to understand and his life off court is is far less dramatic and much simpler and and repeatable and you know some people will see that as a sacrifice my view is you're going to spend a long time being an ex tennis player so if you want to be a player it's it's you know you have to do it you know in the years between you know 18 and 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 uh you know 35 36 i mean obviously some players can seem to go longer now which is which is great um and and i've always had this theory that you have to be 28 in your head to be a top tennis player and nadal was 28 when he was 18 you know uh federer was 28 when he was 22 ah. uh and you know lims 28 when he's 28 <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> uh but some never make 28 you know in terms of the maturity that you need on court and the calmness and relax uh attitude to competing that's really interesting so if so, you're 18 to yeah. be mature like a 28 year old it yeah. sounds like what you're saying is that 28 is sort of an optimum age where you've got your world together you're yeah. mature enough but then when you're older and you're 38 do you need to think like a 28 year old and have the same energy and enthusiasm or is it okay being 38 <laughs> i mean that's such a great question i've never thought about it uh, uh i will i'll give a quick thought off the top of my head but i i would say i think one of the biggest challenges in being older like 38 is to not buy into the you know the the common thought processes that you're you're done and that you're over the hill and that you know when you're feeling a bit tired it's like oh it's because of my age uh i think if you if you want to keep playing and you're older you have to you have to feel like i play on my terms and anytime i have an ache or pain or or you know feeling a little tired or whatever it's not because of my age and and i'm not going to think ever that it is about about my age until i've had enough and i and i think you know certainly i think you know someone like roger is thinking that way and i think the moment he stops thinking that way and and genuinely feels it's about his age then he'll quit but i think it's it yeah it's just really important to you can't have any excuses in your head when you go out there the margins are too small you know you got to be you got to be full out and full on and and win or lose and and the moment you've got a little a little escape hole uh it's human nature you'll you just in the real real heat of battle you're probably going to cave because you've got the bolt hole i'm always full of admiration for the players that you are out there and you know are injured mm. but they're not letting on you've heard before they've got some strapping but there's absolutely no referral to that particular injury how important is that to have that mental strength at this 
I mean, amazing stage of professional tennis, which we know is such a difficult game? Uh, I mean, I think it's fantastic. And it's also, I think, a real sign of respect. Mm. You know, to if you go out on the court, you go out and believe you, you have the capability of winning. And if you're slightly injured, but you believe the strapping and everything like that is going to allow you to compete well enough to win, then you you go out there and 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 try your best to win i think it's disrespectful to think that you could go out there injured and beat somebody at you know 90 percent because you're saying then the margin between you and them is 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 10 percent and that's just not the case you know and so i think when players go out there injured and just give their all they're they're respecting their opponents and that's why when they come off and say you know and, and somebody says to them you know did the injury play a part they will always say no it had no part and and that's true it has no part because you accept when you go on that court mm. that you're healthy enough to win that match and therefore if you lose you're lost and I think you have to have that respect for the sport and for your fellow competitors uh, it's very disrespectful to think that you can go out there not fit enough to win and win. It's a very disciplined mindset and I think it's something that all younger people learn because when you're younger you tend to to look for blame don't you and as you get older you realize that you've got to accept what's there and and take it on the chin. So how much are you talking um, with Liam about mindfulness and about getting his head straight and are you encouraging to read books and listen to podcasts and things like that? Um, Not very much anymore. I feel like we have a rhythm. He's got his tick boxes. Uh, again, like I said earlier, your life needs to be simple. And if things are going well, and he's doing, you know, everything he needs to do each day, I think there's a danger then to start to overcomplicate it again and start to have him think about things that you know that can maybe throw some some doubt or or trigger something. I need to change something. Uh, and I don't think anything really does need to change. We look at what happens each match uh, and and try to put into practice the the next time you, you play that person or somebody in a similar situation. And, you know, certainly he himself will send me quotes or, and I can, you know, I'll send him a little snippet from an article or whatever and say, you know, this is what we were talking about and that. But, you know actually recommending like a full book or, or whatever I don't believe is necessary you know he, he definitely reads quite a bit himself anyway um, and and these things tend to happen just in on an airplane in, in a discussion or over dinner or whatever but it's, it's definitely not forced mm. all right Dave Samuel amazing I could talk to you mm. all day I think this interview's gone a lot longer than I <laughs> promised it would <laughs> yeah, so sorry. thank you very much it's been so Th- interesting Thank you very much for having me.